Hey, welcome to the Metal Detecting Show, episode number 12. My name is Kieran, and I have been metal detecting for the last 30 years. And during this week's show, I discuss crop calendars, and we have a regular tech timeout where I talk about metal detector frequencies. And of course, some news from the world of metal detecting and treasure hunting. So, if you want to enhance your metal detecting knowledge and take your treasure hunting to the next level, subscribe and listen to the Metal Detecting Show. Hey, thank you for listening to my podcast. I really hope you enjoy this one or one of the many that have come previous. If you want to give me feedback or interact with the show, please reach out to me on Twitter at Detecting The or Instagram at The Metal Detecting Podcast. Or if you want to pop me an email to Kieran at TheMetalDetectingShow.com. If you like the flavor of what I'm cooking, don't forget to subscribe. I release an episode for you every Friday, 4 p.m. CDT. Before I start, I want to give a shout out to Grant Thindale on Twitter at Dark Great Bear, who messaged me via Twitter to let me know that he found my episode on how a detector works very helpful. Grant wanted to know how long will I be producing the show for, and to answer that, it is safe to say, with episode 12 in the bag, that the habit is truly formed and I plan to release every week for as long as I have suitable content. Thanks for the great question, Grant, and happy hunting. So on to my adventures in metal detecting this week. This week I hit a beach that no one ever goes to as it's a little village stony harbour beach and doesn't tick any of the site selection boxes except that it's on a bay. A bay of one of the largest harbours in Europe. However, the majority of its surface is covered in seaweed, bedrock, stone and trash from the harbour. I went with the CTX equipped with a 6 inch coil and just as I said last week where I chalked up a bad day on the cursed beach for a good day later, boy did I have not a good day but a great day. On starting, the first five targets were all coins, some old, some new, but all in bad condition, but that was to be expected. The vein of success continued, with most finds being a keeper, with the majority of rubbish being larger iron or aluminium. One find stuck out, an old military button from approximately 1850 in really bad condition, but good enough to identify. Check out the pic on Instagram at the Metal Technique Podcast. I came home after a few hours buzzing and in stark contrast of the previous week, where I was dejected. But that's metal detecting for you, I suppose. Next week, I'll be returning to the Harbour Beach to see what other goodies it produces for me. Okay, another unusual discussion point this week, and that is the importance of knowing about crop calendars. Really, crop calendars, I hear you say? No, I'm not losing the plot here. Think about it. Think about it in the context of asking a farmer for permission to search their land. Think how knowing this will grease the wheels and make it an easy decision for the farmer to make. Imagine going to a farmer and asking him for permission just as he was about to sow his land up. That'll be a straight no. But remember, make it easy for them. Ask the same question just as they finished up harvesting and it'll be an entirely different outcome. Probably, but more on this later. Okay, there's a sweet spot when detecting on crop growing farmland and that depends on your personal taste. Either just after harvest where there might be stubble which can make detecting a nightmare or just after ploughing but directly before sowing. The window after harvesting and before ploughing can be quite large, sometimes weeks, depending on how aggressively the farmer is utilising his land, which is why this window would be popular for detectorists. However, waiting till the farmer has ploughed the land makes for an easier detecting experience, but this window is significantly smaller and sometimes only a day or two, so you've got to be on top of your game to get on the farm detecting during this window. 
So unless the farmer is going to think of you and call you to tell you when the farmer is ready to hunt, you need to have some general knowledge of the crop calendar. There are many crops that I could discuss, but I'll only cover the main crops that relate to Europe and the US to give an idea of what to look out for. Okay, starting with wheat. With the EU producing 130 million tonnes and the US producing 58 million tonnes, it is safe to say there are lots of farmers producing wheat in both the US and EU. Planting for wheat normally starts between March and May, with harvesting occurring during June to October. This gives us a window to detect between November and February, with a sweet spot for asking a wheat farmer's permission around September to October timeframe. But be careful, some farmers may put down a winter crop of wheat straight after a summer harvest, then all bets are off as the only window available for detecting would be around February, maybe March. Maize. Maize. <laughs> the biggest US crop with 325 million tons grown every year, but follows the same calendar as wheat. Planting for maize normally starts between March and May, with the harvesting occurring during June to October. This gives the same window to detect between November and February, with a sweet spot for asking a maize farmer's permission about September to October timeframe. Cotton, another US crop with nearly every state involved in its production with Texas being one of the largest producers of cotton flax. The cotton farming season starts with sowing starting between April and June while harvesting occurs during September to December, leaving a detecting window between January and March. Finally, looking at fruits and tree farming. These are normally only harvested during fall or autumn, but even then, metal detecting between the boughs of a fruit orchard shouldn't be a problem for any day except the days that the harvest machinery is in. So have at it, but it might be worth offering assistance fruit picking to help secure permission for the rest of the year. Like I said, not an exhaustive list, but enough to give you an idea of the concept. In general, the best time to hunt is during winter and early spring. But remember, this is just a guideline. Pay special attention to what the farmer is doing. Ask them the question, when is the best time on their land to detect so as not to damage any crops? But remember, that it's all up for change depending on what the weather throws at the farmer. He may be forced to plant or harvest early depending on the weather. Up next is this week's Tech Timeout where I ramble on about detection frequencies. Okay, time for this week's Tech Timeout! Frequencies. I'm going to talk about frequencies. I mentioned in episode one during the tech timeout then about discrimination that frequency deserves a tech timeout all on its own. So here it is. Frequencies are frequency. To be more accurate, what is frequency? Well, frequency is essentially the count of the number of cycles or waves per second. The unit of frequency is the hertz and one hertz equals one cycle or wave per second. When we are talking about detectors, we are normally talking in the range of thousands of cycles per second, or kilohertz. So how does this work in a detector? Well, your metal detector pumps out via the transmission coil, several, or one band of frequency depending on technology utilized. You should be familiar with most of them, such as BFO, which is Beat Frequency Oscillator. This is the most basic of metal detecting technology and incorporates two oscillators, one for transmission or search and the other for receive or reference oscillator. This is the most basic of metal detector technologies and incorporates two oscillators, one oscillator for transmission or search and the other oscillator for receive 
are sometimes called the reference oscillator. These oscillators are paired together, but the frequency is offset slightly. These two frequencies are mixed together to produce a signal that contains the sum and the difference of both frequencies. When the coil passes over a metal object, this changes the outputting signal and the difference to the reference signal is represented in an audible signal for us to hear. Most low-cost detectors utilize some form of this technology, such as the Garris 8150 to the 350. Pulse induction is a one coil system where the coil takes turns in transmitting a pulse into the ground then switching to listening to the resulting magnetic induced field. It will do this up to 100 times per second. Pulse induction machines or pie machines are great in sites with no trash, great on beaches as they can ignore salt and mineralization. They are also able to detect deep down and all this sounds like our ideal detector but alas they cannot discriminate at all. And then you've got Full Band Spectrum or FBS. MindLab's patented technology, FBS, simultaneously transmits a broad range of 28 frequencies from 1.5 kHz to 100 kHz. The increased frequency range allows FBS technology to offer more accurate target identification, improved depth of detection and improved sensitivity, or so MindLab say. You've got the Broadband Spectrum or BBS used by the Excalibur. BBS or Broadband Spectrum simultaneously transmits, receives and analyzes a broadband of multiple frequencies to deliver substantial detection depth, high sensitivity and accurate discrimination for a wide range of target types. Now, if you ask me, they all look similar, except for whatever marketing spin has been put on the technology. Essentially, they all come down to the following. A pulse or a wide spectrum of pulses, all at different frequencies are transmitted and then received and processed depending on what proprietary functionality is built into the control box. But no matter what the technology, they all operate between 1.5 kHz to 100 kHz, but most operate to specific frequency steps such as 6.5 kHz, 15 kilohertz, 18 kilohertz, and on and on and on, and all use a two-coil system of transmit and receive, except the pulse induction, which uses a monocoil to take turns in transmit and receive. So how can I use this information? Well, let's look at low frequencies versus high frequencies. Starting with low, lower frequencies have a longer wavelength, and because of this, they are better at ground penetration. They are really good at detecting high conductivity targets such as silver. They are not great at finding smaller targets, and they are not good at identifying low conductivity targets such as iron. Lower frequency will penetrate the surface of a target further. Because of this, it will detect gold more easily. See episode 1, Tech Timeout, where I go into this effect extensively. Now, looking at high frequencies. Obviously, they are shorter wavelengths. Very good at detecting small finds. Very good at detecting low conductivity objects. They can't go as deep as lower frequencies but are more sensitive to ground mineralization. So you can see that focusing on just lower frequencies or just higher frequencies is not the way forward. What we need is both, so we can benefit from the best of both worlds, and that is what most high-end detectors are focused on, albeit different versions of the same technology. Fire out a bunch of pulses at different frequencies, both low and high, watch the received data through a bunch of filters, and present it to the user for them to make a decision. That's it for this week's Tech Timeout. Up next is the news roundup from the world of metal detecting. There is only one story to talk about this week. The biggest news that hit the treasure hunting community in years appearing across all major news outlets. So I'm sure you've all heard the news already. But the headlines all go something like this. 
Treasure Hunter finds chest with one million in gold and jewels hidden in the Rocky Mountains. I know there is not one person listening to this podcast that is not aware of Forrest Fenn, who buried the treasure, leaving clues in the following poem that was contained in a self-published book called The Trill of the Chase. The poem reads as, As I have gone alone in there, and with my treasure bold, I can keep my secret where, and hint of riches new and old, begin it where warm waters halt, and take it in the canyon down, not far, but too far to walk, put it below the home of Brown. From there it's no place for the meek, the end is ever drawing nigh, there will be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. If you've been wise and found a blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease, but tarry scant with marvel gaze, just take the chest and go in peace. So why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? The answer I already know, I've done it tired and now I'm weak. So hear me all and listen good, your effort will be worth the cold. If you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the gold. I'd hate to be the guy that had figured it out and never acted on it. And I guarantee you there is at least one person out there saying, God damn it, I knew it! And kicking themselves. Oh my god. Forrest Fenn has confirmed that the treasure has been located. But has it? This may be an elaborate ruse to stop the search after a total of five people have died since the hunt began. Dun dun dun. I can see Hollywood fighting over the film rights right now. I don't care as long as Matthew McConaughey is in the starring role. Alright, alright, alright. And that's it for this week's news and views from the world of metal detecting and treasure hunting. Okay, I hope you like this episode of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Detecting Dead or Instagram at the Metal Detecting Show podcast. If you want to contribute or have suggestions for topics to cover, pop us an email to Kieran at TheMetalDetectingShow.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.TheMetalDetectingShow.com, for this episode's show notes. Check out our Patreon page if you want to help the podcast stay alive or just want to buy me a coffee. Just search for The Metal Detecting Show. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. It's a simple process of just hitting that button below. If you feel up to it and really want to support the podcast, please leave a review. Once again, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and we will chat to you all again next week. Get out there and happy hunting. <laughs>